The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off. Welcome to Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Stone. Today, I'm joined by James McNicholas and the former Arsenal player, Adrian Clark. Good morning, chaps. Good morning. Good morning, Ian. International break. Isn't it tedious, by the way, chaps? <laughs> Feels like a long one, this one. It uh, does. Particularly bad. I think the absence of midweek football means that Arsenal games kind of feel few and far between uh, enough as it is. So throw another international break in there and you do start to miss it. Good goal by Bukayo Saka though, wasn't it? Great goal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's lovely to watch him play. I mean, I do worry, Adrian, about his, uh, how tired he gets and maybe we can talk about that uh, a little bit. Um, but we're going to have a sort of general state of play about the Arsenal this week. Time to take stock, really, after the, um, the I, I don't know, one could say turbulent, Roller coaster of the first seven weeks of the season. Um, we we were pleased pleased to see Jack Wilshire uh, back in uh, Arsenal training uh, gear in his bid to keep fit and hopefully find a team. It is ridiculous. I saw him as a pundit uh, the other week, and he's twenty nine. He's too young to be doing that. Um, we thought we'd have a quick um, Jack Wilshire catch up. Adrian, I'll start with you. Favorite moment or abiding memory of Jack Wilshire? Yeah, look, I, I really liked him as as a player, as a youngster. I think he was he's up there in terms of the the best academy players that that we've produced. I think Cesc Fabregas, although it wasn't through the academy, was the best young player that I saw. But but Jack wasn't too far behind in terms of his skill, quick feet, intelligence. He was just a an impish sort of cheeky player, wasn't he? That that was perfect, I think, for for Arsene Wenger. The, the moment that stands out is a really obvious one. It's because I commentated on the on the goal against Norwich City. It was just a thing of beauty. Wilshire, Kazola, Giroud gets it back through. Wilshire onside and scores. Norwich completely static and caught out by the through ball from Giroud and the eventual finish from Wilshire. Wow, what football this is from Arsenal. In terms of the, you know, the way that he started the move, he skipped past a couple of players, laid it wide, and then joined in again. Little flick and, and a one-two with Cazorla, and then he gets in from the Giroud flick and, and scores. It was just an unbelievable goal. I think maybe one of the most underrated goals in the wider spectrum of the football world. It never seems to get talked about other than by Arsenal fans. I just thought it was, it was a. It was kind of like award-winning poetry, and it and it perfectly encapsulated Jack's talent and his football brain. So, so that's a standout. There are others. In terms of off the pitch, I'll never forget the <laughs> FA Cup parade. I'll never forget it because I worked on it. I worked on that parade in in 2015, and he was battered. He was absolutely he was, battered. Wasn't he? Yes, and and he should never have been allowed near a microphone. But but I loved it. I think secretly everybody loved it, uh, even though he got into a little bit of trouble afterwards for for, for slating Spurs. But yeah, he's. I, I love the fact that he was just a normal regulation fellow. He, he, there was no no airs or graces. It, it, yeah, it, if good things happened, he wanted to go out and get smashed, and <laughs> and and he, and, and, and he hated Tottenham, which which I think in this parish is is always quite welcome. 
Yeah, uh, well, I was going to have that one, uh, certainly. As you know, because because you felt like a fan. What you want from the players, uh, James? I mean, you tell me if this if you think this is true. What you want from the players is to feel the same as us when we played Spurs a few weeks ago, and it felt like a communion between the players and the fans. It felt like they were as excited about it as we were, and and Jack Wilshire sort of embodied that, didn't he? He did, yeah. He he may not have been relatable in terms of his extraordinary talent, which I don't think many of us could empathise with, but as a guy and as a an Arsenal man, he'd grown up as a, a West Ham fan as a kid, but he'd been within the Arsenal Academy so long that the club really was close to his heart. And you could see that um, in the way he interacted with fans, the way he carried himself, the way he celebrated those big occasions. But he did have this huge talent to go alongside it, and it was absolutely thrilling to watch him break into the first team. I remember, you know, talk about this 16-year-old player. I remember he scored a hat-trick, I think, on one occasion for the under-18s. And it was like, there's this midfielder who's who's put away a couple of hat-tricks this season. Everyone was thinking, you know, what have we got on our hands here? Is this the next Wayne Rooney or something like that? And those first forays into the League Cup, I remember him playing off the right-hand side in a kind of a midfield four, you know, almost looking like a kind of young Lionel Messi playing from the right, you know, the way he would cut inside, dribble in field. He was just so exciting and... I suppose speaking of Messi, the game that sticks in my mind is that Barcelona game. Uh, I think it was 2008, 2009, something like that, where he really shone against Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, some of the best midfielders in the world. And, you know, there's been all that talk, I think, that summer of Barcelona DNA. They've been trying to lure Cesc Fabregas back to the new Camp and talking about how he had Barcelona DNA. And I just remember that night feeling like Jack Wilshere had really shown what Arsenal DNA was about. And uh, yeah, he was sensational that evening in what was you know one of the Emirates Stadium's happier, more memorable occasions. Yeah, that was a very, very good night. I do remember going to the pub afterwards and seeing everyone else and everyone had a sort of wide-eyed, childlike look on their faces, actually. Like we'd seen something very, very special that night and Jack obviously was a huge part of that. Um, I mean, aside from those... Uh, one for me was when he played for England for a couple of games, um, when he played deep, uh, quite deep midfield, really, and he was pinging 60-yard passes. like He had like a magic wand, really, the way he was playing these passes, and I thought he could play in this position for England for the next 10 years, and then obviously uh, injuries and all the rest of it. But um, we're glad he's back involved in the uh, in the Arsenal setup in some way, because as Adrian, you were saying, he is an Arsenal boy. <laughs> And it's nice, want... I think. It's nice yeah. that the club have, have have offered him that opportunity. Maybe took a while because I'm not sure what he's been what he's been up to in this sort of interlull between between clubs. But but yeah, I think it's an, it's a good gesture, and um, yeah, it's, there's somebody out there that will benefit from Jack Wilshere if he can stay fit and healthy because you don't you don't lose that ability to pass the ball to to you know to see things that other players can't see to glide past opponents. He's still got something to offer if, and this is the big if, I guess, if he's still got that hunger to to really put in the hard yards and, and, and get himself up to speed. Well, uh, let's hope so. Uh, by the way, a reminder that you can get yourself a third off an uh, athletic subscription because you listen to this podcast. Head to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod to find it and you can hear this pod without the ads there too. Speaking of The Athletic, James... You've written a piece about Ainsley Maitland-Niles. 
uh, ask him what's next. Um, you know, on the script it says for the youngster, but he's 24 years old. He has to sort himself out fairly quickly, doesn't he? Because that can turn into late 20s <laughs> and then you're 30. I mean, we all know this. Uh, it was a long time ago for me. But what is next, James, for Ainsley Maitland-Niles? Well, it's an interesting situation, isn't it? Because I think most people assumed he might leave the club this summer. And there was that kind of back and forth on transfer deadline day where there was a loan offer from Everton. The player wanted to go there. He wanted to go, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and interestingly, he was happy to go there, even though that he was likely to be used as a right back. They're looking for a kind of long-term successor to Seamus Coleman. And that's the role they envisaged him taking up. I know there's been a lot of talk in the media about what his best position is or where he'd like to play. But he would have been very happy, apparently, to go to Everton and play there now. But Arsenal didn't want him to go. And I think when you look at the situation, I think the central midfield area is probably the reason that they resisted it. Because if you think back to the start of the season, Thomas Partey was injured. They know looking ahead to January and the African Cup of Nations, they're going to lose Thomas Partey again there. They're going to lose Mohamed Elneny in all likelihood. So that will leave a bit of a gap in central midfield. They may feel they can use him there. It's just a kind of tricky position for a player, I think, because like you say, he's 24. He doesn't really have a, a settled position. He's been involved in plenty of league games this season. He's been involved in five of the seven games, but he's played little over 100 minutes, really. I mean, he's come on on a couple of occasions when we're already into stoppage time. It's fleeting yeah. appearances right at the end of games. And I suppose he just has the situation to kind of weigh up of, is he content with that? He's got about you know a couple of years left on his contract, no talk of an imminent extension. Arsenal probably need to make a decision on his future sooner rather than later. I just can't help but feel that the situation he's in currently, where he's part of Arteta's plans and featuring kind of semi-regularly, feels like a bit of a, a temporary arrangement. Yeah. And I think sooner or later, if he wants to fulfil his potential, um, he's going to need to go somewhere where he accumulates more minutes but yeah it's an interesting one because you know we talk about people being Arsenal players and coming through the academy and he's absolutely one of those so yep. you, you like to see him involved but uh, I just fear for him a little in terms of him being purely a utility player Mikel Arteta has asked him to embrace that and said you know that's a rare skill a rare asset and I think that's all well and good but are players content with that would they not rather be starting regularly even if it is a little further down the league although I should say Everton are above us in the league right now <laughs> <laughs> yes quite um, Adrian I mean you were a midfielder but mm. if you could have swapped however many games you played for Arsenal mm. for say three times as many games in a different say at right back or left mm. back or whatever would you have done that And and is it is it a weird psychological thing for a player to come through the youth ranks playing in one position, particularly something creative, if you like, like midfield, and then suddenly you're moved to right back and you might feel like, no, I don't want to do that? <laughs> in short, yes, I would have swapped it. Um, yeah. I had nine games. I'd gladly have taken 27 <laughs> at fullback, but that would never have happened because anyone that ever saw me play would, would have known that how terrible I was at defending. So, <laughs> um, but, but you understand but, the question, right? I absolutely. mean, it's, it's, it's really yeah. just about game time, surely. Yeah, look, I, he got into the England squad as a, as a left wing back, a, a position that on paper is completely alien to him. He, he, he wants to play central midfield. He can do a job at right back. He's right footed. So to play at left wing back and get into the England squad on the back of it was actually 
quite remarkable. And and uh, my sort of best memories of Maitland-Niles as an Arsenal first team player are probably in that position when he when he came through, you know, flying down that wing, also defending excellently. So so yeah, it's it's a strange one. I, I feel as if let's get this straight. I think in a, in a way Arsenal are using him this season as somebody that can fill in in a number of different positions and and that's their prerogative. He is a utility player in their eyes and and he is a backup in central midfield. He's a backup at right back, possibly a backup at left back as well. So so I absolutely get why Arsenal didn't want to let him go. But but from Ainsley's point of view, how do you feel about that? Well, I don't think he'll be feeling brilliantly. What he's got to do is reconcile the situation in his own mind and accept it for what it is. And, and in a sense... Play for his own future. When he gets those yeah. chances to impress, he has to shine, not just for Arsenal, but but for himself. Even because in his heart, he may already believe that I'm not I'm not going to be a first team regular under Mikel Arteta. He might believe that, but but he's got to. He, there's no point sulking because if he sulks, plays plays badly, he won't get the move that he needs. So he, he's got to get his head around quite a difficult situation. Things can change, you know, things things can yeah. always change in football, you know, the, the changes happen in terms of managers, changes happen in terms of circumstances. So all is not lost, but in, in my opinion, and this is only my opinion, I'm just not sure long term whether he's going to be good enough to nail down a position in the Arsenal first team. Um, certainly not as a central midfielder, which we all know is, is his desire. I just haven't seen enough from him in that position to say that he, he he's going to make it there. James, you hint at this in the piece that maybe he's finally come to terms with what his best position is. Do you think he's missed the boat a little bit? I mean, I, I felt a few years ago he could have become Arsenal's right back for the next 10, 12 years. I, I think he, I, his greatest potential for me was in those fullback, wingback roles. And, you know, in as recently as January, he went out to West Brom because he wanted to play in midfield and Sam Allardyce told him he'd give him an opportunity there. And he did indeed play the second half of the season in central midfield for West Brom. But I think since then... And they went down, by the way. I mean, it's not, I'm not saying I'm not blaming him particularly, but they went down in that. No, uh, I, th I think Ainsley as an individual did okay in that role in that period. But I think since then he's realised, you know... As Adrian said, how did he get into the England squad playing as a left wing back? It is in these defensive areas where he has tended to shine. And I think the way it was put to me, going to West Brom almost got that out of his system. You know, he feels like he's really able to kind of knuckle down and focus and play in the position that maximises his potential. Has he missed the boat at Arsenal? I think so. I mean, at the time Mikel Arteta arrived at the club, you know, it was December and around that period, Ainsley, I think, was on record talking about how fullback wasn't his best position or his preferred position. The next month, Arsenal went out and signed a right back in Cedric Suarez. It was one of Arteta's first priorities as soon as he came into the club. Uh, since then, we've seen Callum Chambers come back from loan and play in that position. We've seen the signing of Tommy Asu, who started really, really well. So I, I do think that probably that ship has now sailed for him. 
But if I was him, if I was his agent and I was looking at his next move, I think I would be looking at a club who played him in that position um, because I do think that's where his strengths really lie. It is just a shame because like you, I think he probably in different circumstances could have made a real fist of playing there for Arsenal. I think he certainly had some of the key attributes you'd look for in that position. But fortunately, Tommy Asu's come in. He's a very different type of fullback, but he started very well. And maybe he's a more natural fit too for Arteta's system. Yeah. Yeah. Can Come I on, just say, Stoney, yeah, psychologically, the difference um, between being a regular and really, obviously, very few players are ever guaranteed a play. So, so in football, uncertainty is something you have to live with. But you know when you're liked by the manager, you know when you're trusted, you know when you're a mainstay within the team. And that feeling, and to take it back to my own career, that feeling of knowing that you're a, you're a key man, knowing that the manager really likes you, knowing that the fans you know, rely on you, that feeling is, is, is special. And I've also experienced the feeling of being in a squad, but not really being part of the first team, used sparingly in and out, where you're not really part of it. And you're always chasing, you're always chasing. And, and there's that dream that you have. But the feeling that you get inside as a footballer is quite empty when you compare it with with what I was just talking about, where you are an integral figure. So I, th- I think at some stage in every player's career, you need to find that. You need to find a place where you are loved and where you kind of belong. Even if it only lasts for a season or two, you need it. Um, because I don't think you experience being a professional footballer properly until you're in that position. Yeah, that was it. Got slightly sadder <laughs> there at the end. But you're right. You you know you're right. You need um you need love, and maybe yeah. he's not got uh, had quite enough uh, at the Arsenal. Uh, we'll see how that develops. Like you say, James, two years, slightly under two years left on his contract. They have to make a decision. There are other players who are also in a sort of limbo state. Um, Tim Stillman wrote a very very good piece. Um which I'd urge people to read, going through some of those players, uh, Alexandra Lacazette, Eddie Nketiah, um, Gabriel Martinelli, uh, Callum Chambers, there's quite a few. James, looking to January and then on to the next transfer window in the summer, um, is it more now about moving players out than getting many in? I think it might well be when you look at the money that Arsenal have spent in the summer as well. I I suspect they may try and keep their powder dry for the following summer in January. But there are players who could well have left the club in the summer uh, and didn't. You know, you mentioned Eddie Nketiah as one there. You know, that situation is going to creep towards a resolve maybe as soon as January. If not, it'll be, you know, the following summer. Uh, And there are a couple more in that boat. I think it's tricky, though. Someone like Lacazette, for example, you know, he's into the final year of his contract, but I think the likelihood is he might stay to the end because players don't tend to move six months out from their contract. There's kind of too much uh, appeal in waiting for the Bosman. And from an Arsenal perspective as well, they may decide it's worth having him around as cover. You know, we saw him come on against Brighton and have a decent Made a impact. difference. Yeah, Made a did. difference, and, didn't he? And I think um, I think there will be opportunities for him. There will be games that suit him. So I, I wonder if he'll stay until the summer too. It'll just be interesting to see what sort of market it is in January, you know, if the fact that crowds are back in stadiums, will that give a bit increased 
confidence in terms of spending, increased revenues. I'm not sure. But when you look back at Arsenal's summer business, you know, I think the incomings, you have to say they got a lot of business done. Uh, they did very well. And some of those recruitment decisions already look quite astute. In terms of the outgoings, there were probably one or two more they could have done that they didn't get done. And I think they'll try to address that in January. The difficulty will be the same as it was in the summer, really, finding takers and also finding players who are, are willing to move when they may prefer to kind of run their contracts down and have a few more options. Adrian, anything to add to that, really? I mean, it's pretty much what James said, right? We're looking to try and get rid of a few players. But again, like the summer, who's going to buy them? Yeah, I don't, I don't see massive amounts of activity in January, if I'm honest. I, I totally agree on Lacazette. I think he's incredibly unlucky, actually, not to be playing um, from the start. Obviously, Arteta has nailed his colours to the mast in terms of Aubameyang's the, the first choice striker, which, which, is all, which is fair enough, absolutely. But there are certain games, and I think the Brighton one was a great case in point, where a Lacazette style of striker is going to benefit the team a little bit more. So so it'll be interesting to see if if Mikel Arteta is, is able to recognise that and make some tough decisions, either by putting a Bamiyang on the bench occasionally or moving him to the left to, to bring in that focal point because Lacazette is, is excellent at it. And and yeah, Arsenal couldn't get out of their own half against Brighton. They needed that the, the, the ball through to a Bamiyang just wasn't on in that particular game. They needed a Lacazette style striker. So... Um, he, he will have value, no doubt about that, um, between now and the end of the season. Yeah, as for the others, look, I think Martinelli's just someone that's in a, in a weird place at the moment. He, he just, I guess, just got to be patient and wait for chances to, it, Adrian, to shine. sorry to interrupt, but is he one of those guys that needs a bit of love? Do you think he's one of mm. those? I mean, I know everyone does, of course, yeah, but yeah. is he one of those guys that needs to be first team and needs to be playing on a regular basis and, and have that feeling perhaps I, I don't know him personally I think most footballers want that and crave it but when you play for Arsenal it's really hard you've got to be seriously good to get in that first team on a regular basis and and you look at the competition they've all grabbed their chances haven't they so maybe a lone move for Martinelli but I still feel that he he, he has plenty to offer I've, I still believe in him as an Arsenal player but but he must be really getting frustrated. That it's a different situation for him. He he will be part of the squad, I believe, in two three years' time. Maybe part of the first team. He he should be. But Enketia, Chambers, Kalasanac, guys like that, Maitland Niles. I'm not I'm not sure about that. I, I think they might end up moving on probably in the summer. No, I, I mean this sort of takes us really quite neatly into how things have gone so far. I mean, obviously, on this podcast, we've talked extensively about each game and about how it, how it's gone. Um, James, the Brighton game was a good corrective, wasn't it, really? I mean, we, we all... Tottenham at home was just a joyous in every way and, a, and a, a really one of the happiest days of my life, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Genuinely, a, a real, as I said before, a communion between fans and players. And it really felt like Emirates was rocking, unlike almost any other time I've been there. But Brighton showed us... Yeah, yeah, we've got a decent first team. We're pretty solid in defence, but we don't offer a huge amount going forward as yet. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we had those three defeats in the league followed by three wins and you find yourself asking, are we as bad as we looked against Manchester City or as good as we looked against Tottenham? And I think the Brighton game, as you say, is a bit of a corrective. It kind of demonstrates that we're somewhere between those two extremes. It's interesting. I think, you know, Arteta has completely remodelled his defence. You know, you look at the new goalkeeper, new right-back, new centre-half in Ben White alongside Gabriel. But if you look back to last season and our defensive record, our defensive record was actually pretty decent. And it was really, I think, in the in the opposition's half that we had more trouble, particularly in the first half of last season. And funnily enough, we're sort of in a, a not too dissimilar state now where I think we all agree it looks like there's a really solid platform to build on. Uh, I think the problem against Brighton, as Adrian said, was that we just couldn't get out of our own half. And that was down to two things, really. I think when we played out from the back, we didn't have the same confidence, conviction. Brighton pressed us extremely intelligently. And I think for the first time, we really saw that defensive unit struggle with that. And then when we went longer to Aubameyang, you know, he he didn't hold it up as well as he had against Tottenham. And I think that's partly because he was up against three six-foot-plus centre-halves who were very, very dominant. And it just meant that we never really got going. But what I would say is if you look at the fixtures coming up, I think, you know, they'll tip the balance really because, yeah. you know, we're sort of on a fairly even keel having corrected a terrible start with some some very creditable results. But, you know, Aston Villa coming up, then in the Premier League, it's Leicester, Watford. These are games that will... Re- Crystal Palace, I forgot to mention as well, apologies. These are games that I think will ultimately sort of decide where those scales sit and you know what the perception of Arteta and his team is especially going into that Liverpool game in November um, so it's a really really critical crucially important run yeah uh, Mikel Arteta did win manager of the month um, yeah. I don't know I was sort of I don't know about you Adrian I was sort of vaguely mm. nonplussed by that we had a good run we definitely did we beat Norwich and we beat Burnley and we obviously spanked Tottenham Battered Tottenham, in fact, and uh, <laughs> um, and and like I say, and then and then Brighton came along, and obviously the Twitter sphere went, oh, it's all gone wrong again. I, I want to ask you a specific question about Granite Xhaka. I mean, it, it, he, you know, obviously he was going to be in the first team, and then he's going to be out for a couple of months. Um, you'd hope that uh, uh, Sambi Lakonga will step up. But he missed a great opportunity to put Emil Smith Rowe in against Brighton, and you sort of feel like Granite might have made that pass. We're going to miss him, right? I think so. Yeah, he's he still is, you know, one of our two best central midfielders. I don't think there's any question about that. And <laughs> there is amongst it, my mates, but okay, is there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, there I is. think he is. Look, Arsenal central midfield unit is is a work in progress. Um, if Thomas Partey can can you know, fulfill his potential. I've seen, he didn't have a good game party against no. Brighton, but, but he had a great preseason and, and, you know, he's looked good in the other game. So scored, scored for, uh, uh, international scored in yeah, his international breaks. So. He's, he's a class, he's a class act. It, it is. Can Laconga deliver alongside him? I think, and, and that will hold the key really to unlocking our attacking potential, because I don't think if you looked at Saka Smith Rowe and Erdegaard, Chuck in Pepe as an option, and you looked at the two centre forwards that we can choose from. I don't think anyone can c- could argue that that's not a really potentially potent forward line. Yeah. But but you've got to be able to go to places like Brighton and control the game. You've got to be able to come up against a tactically astute team that yeah are in good form, but ultimately don't have as good players as you. 
and you've got to be able to handle their press brilliantly from the back. You've got to you know, you've got to be confident enough to play through it or be astute enough to play the right passes to bypass it. In that game against Brighton, I thought, I thought the Partey and Laconga weren't very good. They, they they weren't didn't play to their potential, and and that was that was at the heart of it. Now, if in this run of games that James talked about that they produce a similar level of form, then Arsenal will struggle, I think, uh, to to pick up consistent wins. If they can play as well as I think we all believe they can. Then, then, then we've got a great chance of winning those matches. So, yeah, it's um, that that holds the key for me. That particular unit and and Jacker being out is is a blow. We can't deny it. But at the same time, we know that Granite, you know, always has a concentration lapse in his locker, <laughs> um, and and, and that yeah, that he's not the finished article himself. So, the, so the door is open for Laconga. The other thing, tactically, very briefly that I would like to see Mikel Arteta have a think about changing is the whole thing about Xhaka coming into the left-back position, which allows Tierney to go forward. It leaves that central midfield so light in numbers. Um, and yeah, if we lose the ball, there's just Thomas Partey really. And Laconga did that role at, at, at Brighton. For obvious reasons, he's not as comfortable at that. And uh, yeah, I fear that he could be, you know, isolated out there maybe gives the ball away and, and other teams get at us through the heart of the pitch. So so maybe a little tweak is needed because each player is different and and, and that style I don't think suits Laconga like it did Granit Xhaka. This is Handbrake of the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We better bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Ian Stone here with Adrian Clark and James McNicholas uh, talking about Arsenal, how the season's gone so far. Uh, Adrian, you've been watching the Arsenal women's team. Um, it was a... Um, <laughs> we were talking about a corrective with the Brighton game. The Barcelona <laughs> game was a bit of a corrective. I mean, they are a step up, aren't they? I, I, I mean, I was watching them and I thought, this is one of the best... I mean, I just love watching them. Get men or women's football. This is just a great football team to to watch. Wasn't nice seeing our team get uh, get beaten the way they did, but mm. it does give us an indication of where we need to be. Yeah, look, the Brighton game is a reality check for the men's first team. I think the the, the Barcelona defeat was was the same for for Jonas Edevall's team, but but Barcelona, this Barcelona team is. Is elite. It, it's like the All Blacks. It's like you're yeah. playing one of the best sporting teams on the planet, really. And I don't think there's there should be too much shame shame in that. They seem to batter everybody. So I would I would prefer to sort of park what happened there. Yeah, the, the defense was caught square with a high line on numerous occasions. So that's something for for Jonas to to think about. But, but in w, Adrian, yeah, but Adrian, when when they came back at the weekend and they beat mm. Everton 3-0 and they looked back to their sort of old happy selves and you thought, and I, and I read the piece that Art, uh, Art uh, De Roche wrote, a very mm. nice piece in the, for The mm. Athletic, which you can have a look at, about the game and about the mm. tactics. And it mm. felt like they, they 
it took them half an hour or so to mm. uh, to sort of absorb what had happened in midweek, and then they came out and they beat Everton comfortably. Yeah, look in WSL terms, it's going swimmingly. It's, it, they've been brilliant, and and it's all about levels. Barcelona are just on a different plane to pretty much anybody else. I think domestically, Arsenal have a great chance of winning the title, which is which is awesome. Um, really, really impressed with, with so much of what they've done so far. Um, tactically, I think that Idaval has um, got them pressing a little bit better. He's also moved away, not from the tiki-taka, you know, short passing, you know, lovely little triangles. That still happens. But now they're not afraid to go longer on occasion. They're, they're clipping more balls over the top, percentage passes, and and that's given them more variety. I think that's a, that's a great addition to their armoury. And individuals are, I mean, so many of the individuals are on fire. I mean, we've got some excellent players. Beth Mead has has just been sensational. You know, some of her crosses, some of her goals, uh, amazing. The the new signings, I think, have been great. Iwabuchi, did you see a nutmeg tackle against Spurs? She sort of Mm. did it. Yeah, she did a 50 50 and she megged the player and then spanked it in the top corner in the North London derby. That was. That was a real highlight. I loved it. Um, Tobin Heath on the wing, fantastic. Frieda Marner uh, lashed one into the top corner against Everton. Some good goals at the weekend, weren't they? Really good. Yeah, there's there's loads to there's loads to like, and I haven't even mentioned Katie McCabe, who is is kind of. Turning into the the Lucas Podolski of the Arsenal women's team. <laughs> I mean, she's just got a yeah. hammer, hammer left foot, hasn't she? Yeah. And um, yeah, um, she's a player that last season was great, and, and she's carrying on that form. So look, I, I think the Arsenal women's team, in spite of that Barcelona, you know, beating a, a tremendous, and I think they've improved again this season. Uh, James, I wanted to ask you, there's one thing that in Art's piece, he was uh, interviewing Jonas Edeville, and uh, Jonas said, I think it's so important you're not only focused on the outcome. If you are, then it becomes impossible to coach or teach them. If you're only focusing on the result, you might do a lot of actions that are actually not up to the standard that you know would be required, but the result may still be very positive because of individual skill or luck. And if those things happen, you just look away from them not being up to standard and say it's great because we won 3-0, but you'll never develop onto that style. I know we've talked about this in terms of doing comedy, um, that unless you're trying out new material, essentially, you can have a great gig, but you're not moving forward. And that seems to be what he's talking about here. Yeah, and that you've got to have good process underpinning things. I mean, football is a crazy game because it's such a narrow scoring game. You know, games can be decided, as he said, by one piece of individual skill or one piece of bad judgment or one piece of good or bad luck. You can't always control those as a coach. What you can control is the kind of tactical rigour, everything that's underneath that, everything that goes into the game. And he seems to have made a fantastic start. And just to put that Barcelona defeat in context, I actually heard that some of the Arsenal coaching staff and indeed executives said that was one of the the best performances that they'd ever seen a women's football team produce yeah, that Barcelona gave against Arsenal and you know I think there is really no shame in in losing that one and actually you know I think Jonas the type of coach he is he'll probably be using that as a learning experience and trying to impress that on the players and the fact they responded so well 
in the Super League is really promising. I mean, the goal Katie McCabe scored last week from 40 yards out on the right-hand side, I was thinking she's not going to top that and no chance. And then the one she managed this weekend, I think it's arguably even better. She takes it on the thigh and then volleys it into the far top corner. Just extraordinary. And what's good to see as well is the crowds are up at Boreham Wood, what I hear regularly getting over 2,000 fans there now. I saw Ian Wright was down there again at the weekend. He's been a great sort of ambassador for the team and for the women's game more generally. Uh, So yeah, really, really exciting times. And the club made substantial investment on the, on the in the women's team and they're going to continue doing that in terms of building out the infrastructure you know so that it's more akin to what we see on the men's side in terms of kind of the the structure of the staff the idea of a technical director all things like that hopefully are going to be introduced over the years to come uh, as they kind of build out that infrastructure but really encouraging and really exciting and fantastic to see how well the team's doing certainly on the domestic front where they are flying they certainly are. Um, by the way, I mentioned Art's piece. Uh, if you want more insight on the Arsenal youth team as well, um, uh, The Athletic, you can uh, read uh, about them there. Um, the game's coming up, by the way. We've got Palace next Monday for the men's team. Um, really, I think the excitement, Adrian, for me, is is having Patrick Vieira back at, uh, uh, back at the Arsenal, isn't it? I mean, I can't wait to see him and to sing the song. <laughs> yeah, do you think that the fans will? It'll be, I, th- I think they well, will. I won't will. They, at some won't point. you? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's Vieira. Well, I won't because I'll be working. I, I, oh, that would okay. just be silly. But... <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I won't be working, and I will be singing it because you know he's one of my all-time yeah. favourite players, and I, I want yeah. him to know how much we loved him. I mean, I think he yeah. does anyway. But it'd be it's nice true. to see him back, right? Definitely, yeah, because he never really got a proper chance to say say goodbye, and he is one of the most loved players of that generation. Just such an aura about him, um, you know. I was privileged to play alongside him a few times, and he was just sensational. And yeah. and I think we all hope, really, don't we, that that Patrick Vieira becomes a, a phenomenal manager, because if he does, then the, the, there is the prospect, of course, somewhere down the line that he might. He might rock up as the Arsenal gaffer, so which, which I think would be a, a lovely sight. Um, but but he's he's in the business of proving himself at the moment, isn't he, with Crystal Palace? And yeah, wishing the best of luck, but just not not in that particular <laughs> not game. Us. No, <laughs> I like the cut of his jib though. The, the style change that he's implemented at Palace is has been quick. They're watchable, he, aren't they? Yeah, they've they've, they've definitely um, he's done a lot of work on the training ground to change that style. And it's not really been at the detriment of results. They've been picking up the kind of results that they probably would have done under Roy Hodgson. So I think it goes down as a good start. But but yeah, I hope we batter them in the game, obviously. Yeah. Uh, James, uh, are you? I mean, it will be nice to see Patrick again. But uh, um, as you said just before, we've got winnable fixtures before we come up against Liverpool. We've got to we've got to show that we're a, a, a an upper mid table team, haven't we? <laughs> At the very least, uh, I'd like to think so. I mean, to come back with two home games back to back, I think is really helpful, you know, and gives Arsenal a bit of a building block for this kind of next period of the season. There are more international games not too far away. I think in really? November, yeah. um, so you know it's sort of another weird uh, block for Arsenal to, to look at. You know this kind of four or five game block and see where they can get to. But I think it'll be fantastic to see Vieira back. I mean, one of my all time favourite players, uh, someone who's been in the mix for the Arsenal job 
previously hasn't worked out for a, a variety of different reasons but I'm sure he's got one eye on that still even though he's very focused on the job he's done at Crystal Palace and I have been impressed I mean you know they have shifted the style uh, the player profile that they've recruited is very exciting not too dissimilar to Arsenal in terms of going for younger players um, I think there's some really exciting talent there for him to work with I think you know they've been pressing from the front they 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 look aggressive I think there'll be a challenge for sure, but this is a game that Arsenal, if they're serious about their kind of top six ambitions, uh, probably should win and hopefully will win. It would kind of uh, it would be a great start to this next period if they could, you know, beat Palace and Villa and, and be in decent shape before they go to Leicester the following week. Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose we should talk about a top seven now, really, what with uh, the Newcastle takeover <laughs> as well and. I don't think we really want to get into the moral rights and wrongs of uh, <laughs> of that on this uh, podcast, but uh, there's a lot of competition out there. We have to step up. Let's have a uh, song to finish. Uh, James, I'll start with you. Well, we talked about Jack Wilshire and nice to see him back at the club, nice to see him with a smile on his face. I've picked a song that you'll probably know, and it's by The Who, and it's called Happy Jack. Because <laughs> I'm really old, is what he's saying there, <laughs> listener. Okay, You'll remember that. Did you play it on your gramophone? Exactly, I did. Yeah. I remember grandfather playing it to me. Yeah. What about you, Adrian? What have you? Anything else by Caruso, maybe, from the 1890s when I was a child? What have you got? Well, I've got some, yeah, something from back in the day. Um yeah. You did a nice segue there in terms of the Newcastle news because it made me think that the mountain back to the top has sort of become yes. even more treacherous, hasn't it? And but but we've got to get there through good management, sound investment, ambition, risk. I don't know. We have to get back to the top. We can't settle for staying on this particular plateau. We just can't. This is Arsenal. So I've picked out climb every mountain from the sound of music. Um, <laughs> I, I, look, I, I, I know it's not cool to say it, but I like the sound of music. I was in it as a school at school in the school production. I remember, yeah, the, the words, you know, climb every mountain, search high and low, follow every byway. Climb every mountain. Every part, you know. <laughs> we got to ford every stream, follow every rainbow till we find our dreams to climb every mountain. <laughs> I'm inspired. I don't know about you. I'm standing up at this point, James. Um, I'm uh, uh, I'm going because I'm talking about the international break. I'm going. I, I know this is old school. I've gone tired of waiting for you because I'm just desperate for what I want to call proper football uh, to kick in uh, again uh, by the Kinks. So I'm having that. Uh, thank you to James. Thank you, Adrian, and uh, thank you, Abby, our producer. Uh, I'm Ian Stone. Thank you, guys, for listening. This has been Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast from The Athletic. See ya. (laughs) 